0: Hello there. Welcome along to the podcast, Sport and Life, Monday, the 26th of October. I actually just realised it's one of my good friend's birthdays from university. I have to give him a shout, a Liverpool fan. Uh, Thank you for hitting on the button. Thank you to the sponsors, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, who are specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high quality customer service and installations. Love my Bang Olufsen headphones from Jason Briggs and his team in the courtyard in Montpellier here in Cheltenham, but also cognizant that if I want a new entertainment system, I can contact those guys and they'll give me through their sister company, Serene AV, advice. It's not necessarily just Bangalore and equipment, but monitors, screens, audio equipment, whatever it might be that to uh, enhance the experience. They'll be able to, to do that with uh, full market scope and uh, good grace as well. Good team, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham, follow them on social media. Thank you to cytoplan.co.uk, company not far from here in the West of England, Hanley Swan, just outside of Malvern, where my father, who is a GP and nutritionist, specifically micronutritionist, is what he's fascinated by, trace elements, their importance, the importance of things like selenium and zinc to optimizing our immunity and health. And he has worked with Cytoplan to design supplements for a couple of decades. We still buy them using our, our money with a discount very much believe in them. And although we don't have a control group, very much feel they have enhanced our health and helped our immune system stave off things, which I know people are very conscious of COVID-19, but also this time of year, and particularly in the era of the pandemic, regular coughs and colds are complicating the picture, aren't they? Whether you can get a test to ascertain what you may or may not have is is complex at the moment, isn't it? So I think trying to stay as healthy as possible is key, I'm trying to not have any symptoms. So cytoplan.co.uk for food-based supplements absorbed into your system as food would be. That's the the theory with food-based supplements, as I understand it in layman terms. But if you want a 10% discount, if you would like some supplements, the code, the new code is DRAPER10, R -R one zero, and then an R at the end, a capital R. So DRAPER10R. Hope you uh, are well, and I hope... This podcast will cheer you up, particularly if you're a football fan of my era, growing up in the 90s as a football aficionado. Absolutely love Manchester United, but just football in general. I kind of can still recall from the mid 90s the Premier League 11s and some of the iconic players. And I think, strangely, although he was a left back and by his own admission, a kind of industrious agricultural left back, you would say, Francis Franny Benali, arguably one of the most iconic figures of the Premier League era. synonymous with Southampton in particular and that partnership with Matthew Letitia, two famous players through the late 80s, 90s, early 2000s. But I think beyond that just resonates with football fans and and of a bygone era, kind of a bridge between the sort of um, more spit and sawdust reality of football as a kind of working man's game to a certain extent. I know money was there in the 80s, but still connected to the, the working man and perhaps how it's gone onto this sort of stratosphere of glitz and glamour in the in the modern era. In the '90s bridged that, and Francis Benali, very much a kind of throwback in that sense. And great to speak to Franny because I work with him at Sky Sports. Fine analyst, very impartial, even when he's covering Southampton as best as he as he can be. And he's um, a good guy. There's a lot of work for charity as well for Southampton's charities football club. He's supported since a boy and still affiliated with. Now he's coached there since he since he played as well. I think in the early days of his retirement. And he's just a good man. And I hope you enjoy this one, the reminiscing of some of the, the cult heroes of the past and just his thoughts on how football's changed for the good and for the worse. sometimes. We talk about the lack of maybe aggression sometimes and the lack of contact in the Premier League that's allowed. Just get, see what you think and let me know how you feel about this. Here it is. The one and only Francis Benali. And we are recording. Franny Bernali, welcome to the podcast. Good to speak to you. How are you doing this morning?
1: Yeah, I'm really good, Ed. Thank you. It was, uh, it was great to see you in the, the studios yesterday and um, yeah, looking forward to, to having a little chat with you now. Yeah, it was great, wasn't it? We,
0: obviously, it was great for you covering Southampton against Everton and, and they won, they, they toppled the league leaders, but it was good to see you. So I can't really say like, how have you been completely? Because I spoke to you <laughs> yesterday, but how, how, is this, how has the period been since March for you? I know you've done some endurance charity stuff. Have you sort of lent into your exercise to keep your, your mindset going through this period?
1: Do you know what, the early stages of the whole lockdown thing, Ed, I think we we're all adjust, adjusting to, you know, what life was like for us then, wasn't it? And it, yeah. you know, and trying to come to terms with it um, and obviously not having that, that interaction and contact with family and friends was difficult for all of us, I'm sure. But uh, I, I think early on I, I saw a few things where people were trying to support some great causes and there was garden marathons and things like that some mm. crazy, crazy incredible stuff going on and supporting great causes and and I just felt well I'll, I'll try and do my little bit you know given that we've got all this time on our hands and uh yeah I, I did my own version of the garden marathon helping Southampton Football Clubs Foundation Saints Foundation and NHS charities together so mm. I, I decided to do a, a garden marathon myself and measured the the path around my my garden lawn and <laughs> Worked out how many laps of the, the the lawn it was going to take to, to run a marathon. And, um, you know, literally had next to no training. The most I think I'd been doing in any kind of training runs was six miles. Wow. So I certainly hadn't been ready for it. And, uh, you know, I, literally a few days before I was due to do the event as well, we did a little bit of publicity with the foundation and um, pumped that out publicly. So people were aware of what I was going to do. I did a little training run around the garden one evening did you how, how many laps yeah. did you do I, well this is the thing ed I, I did 12 laps and had to stop because <laughs> my kid was spinning oh man so i was really really dizzy and uh, i thought oh no you know i've got to do a, a few hundred laps of the garden there's no way i'm going to be able to do that so um we had to have a rethink and my wife suggested that i, I did it on a treadmill yeah. so we we managed to borrow a treadmill and i, I did the marathon so that was because you know, were dizzy go. from the revolution
0: where you go around in a circle that was the, the issue.
1: Yeah, like, you know, just my, my brain or my head just couldn't cope with running around in circles so much. So um, yeah, the, the, the treadmill gave us a, a, another option, which was great, and we raised a few few pounds for for a couple of great causes, which was good. So yeah, um, yeah, just that was that was the early days of lockdown, and then I, I managed to slip a disc in my back a few months later, and oh, I was pretty much done next to nothing since then, really, from a, a, a training or physical point of view still looking super slim though franny you're one of the only footballers who almost looks better nick than they were when they're playing
0: (laughs) it's amazing isn't it what have you uh what's your secret then just diet is it discipline maybe
1: i think yeah you know we we tried to to eat healthily as a a, you know a family and um you know other than having a bit of an injury recently I've, i've i've been you know trying to tick over with some training and stuff or if it's you know, not a little bit of training. It's been the endurance challenges in recent years. So there's been quite a bit of activity I've been doing. But I think I've, I've, I'm generally blessed that you know, just I've got some you know good metabolism that doesn't seem to put too many pounds on, thankfully. Good
0: man, good man. Well, it's um, it's great to speak to you. We'll speak about some historical stuff because I guess I know there'll be people listening. I know that uh, I'm friends with the former editor of Boxing News, Tris Dixon, who's a massive Southampton fan so and grew up in the 90s as well. So he'll be keen to to hear about and other, other Saints fans about the, the sort of 90s stuff. But I just wanted to... It's talk awesome. But yesterday, obviously, you, you Southampton won again. What was it? Four unbeaten, three wins in, in that run. What, what is your perception on the current secret at the club? Because it seems, regardless of the manager, that say the last, what, five, six, seven years, it, it seems to tick over, doesn't it? And the recruitment is amazing because they lost Pierre-Emil Hoiberg or Oibier, some people call him, in the summer. And it seems to have yeah. not affected them necessarily. And that's typical, isn't it, of the last sort of five, six years?
1: Yeah, I think we lost our way a little bit, to be honest, you know, in in, in recent years, you know, sort of some of the recruitment from a a player perspective and and maybe even one or two managers, you know, probably wasn't what we needed as a football club um, or certainly wasn't what everybody had hoped um, they would be maybe. So, um, yeah, very much under Ralph now, uh, there there seems to be a a direction um, and, and that's, you know, Resulting in performances and results that we're seeing on, on the pitch at the moment. So, um, yeah, it's it's great to see. I mean, nobody ever likes to take things for granted and you, you shouldn't ever do that. Mm. Uh, but, you know, from what we've seen so far, Ralph Hausenhutl has come in and done an incredible job. Um, I'm sure there's still lots of things he would like to improve on and get better at. Uh, but certainly on the back of what we've seen from, you know, restart, up until the the, you know, the early stages of this season has been really positive. So yeah, long, long may it continue naturally from from a biased Southampton perspective. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing though, isn't it? Because I mean, just thinking, Kuhn got you, I think, seventh
0: one season, didn't he? I think it was possibly the the high point. But then looking at the players that Southampton have released or sold for good money, of course, Virgil van Dijk, Sadio Mane, a lot of them to Liverpool, there? Was Adam Lalana as well. But it, and, and Hoiberg this past summer to Tottenham, the players that they've gone through their ranks. I mean, recruiting those players, there must be a good set there, isn't there?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's been a, a huge strength of ours, hasn't it? I mean, everyone talks about our academy and how you know we've managed to produce players for, for decades, and, and, and that's mm. been a real strength and, and something that I, I think has probably been a model that many other clubs have looked at and probably envied in a way. Mm. Uh, but, you know, the, the, alongside that, it's not just sort of producing your own talent. It's it's that recruitment side, as you mentioned. And, um, you know, it's, it, that's really key to get that that balance right. And it's it's not always as easy as it sounds. Um, you know, there's a huge amount of work that goes into it. And every club at an elite level, as we know now, you know, are looking for those fine margins, those, you know, additional gains that they can have over the opposition. And, you know, signing and recruitment of players is a huge thing as well. So, as as we know, it doesn't always work. Yeah. That's even for Southampton. So, um, you know, it's, 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 I guess, until you actually, you know, a player joins and a little bit further down the line, you see how how they've had an impact. Um, do you really truly know? But you're right. We, we've we've sold, you know, some incredible talent for huge sums of money, yeah, uh, over the years, and 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 that's been a good thing for Saints. As much as we would love to see a lot of the players you just mentioned sort of still be at Southampton, I, I think, in all honesty. We've got to realise that we're, we're not a club, that, you know, certainly at this moment in, in, our, in our history that is able to, to compete with, with a lot of the bigger sides.
0: Yeah, this moment in particular, I mean, it's tough for every club in the, in the Premier League and every football club, professional club and every professional sports club, isn't it, with the pandemic? And we were talking about that yesterday, weren't we? You were reflecting on going into St Mary's and, and watching a game, reporting on a game. What was that experience like for
1: well, again, you know, as we, we touched on briefly yesterday, it, it, it was really surreal for me. I mean, I think all of us agree it's, it's, it's really strange, you know, even just watching uh, a competitive game now on, on television without supporters in the, in the stadium is, is, is pretty weird. Yeah. Uh, but as you mentioned, I, I've, I've been in the stadium for a, a few games now this season uh, as part of a commentary team and it, it's bizarre. Really bizarre and, and and weird in in the sense that it, it just feels like a training ground practice match. Yeah, uh, with that lack of atmosphere, with you know not seeing people in the stadium, um, and that that's as we probably again spoke about yesterday. Maybe has resulted in not just from a Southampton perspective, but across football.
0: Yeah, has resulted
1: in some of the really bizarre scorelines we've seen and penalty shootouts going to. Sort of 14, 13, it, it, there's been some real crazy stuff going on. and
0: lack, lack of pressure, you think, the shootouts that people are scoring more goals?
1: Yeah, most definitely. I'd say, you know, very rarely, I can't ever remember shootouts going to sort of double figures or very mm. hardly ever, um, if at all. So I, I think, yeah, without supporters behind the goal and the pressure that that brings and in, in a penalty shootout scenario is, is, is certainly maybe helped or hindered. You know, a team depending on who they were. But um, yes, yeah, it's, it's certainly very strange times. And like all of us, can't wait for, for us to be able to get back to, to, to having everyone back in the stadiums again. Yeah, I mentioned Saints good run, but we've seen Everton
0: the table topping. I think they're still technically on top. They've got Villa and uh, obviously Leeds United have come up and done really well. That, do you think that's reflected in those results? I suppose possibly we saw Leicester in 2016. There's an opportunity, isn't there, Franny, this season because everyone seems to be in a slight... Malays slightly discombobulated that maybe there's an opportunity for a, a so-called smaller team to win it
1: well we as you rightly say we've, we've seen it with Leicester before haven't you you know they mm. made the, the, the perfect scenario of a, a, a situation that other teams just weren't on it that season and uh, you know everyone questioned them almost right up to the the last running so um yeah it's, it's it feels a little bit like that this season doesn't it you know with yeah. Liverpool losing Van Dijk and the impact that could well have, and other teams just glancing at the table at this moment in time. You know, probably fair to say we, we probably wouldn't have called a lot of the sides that are in there, <laughs> including maybe um, being so high up. So yeah, there's 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 everything to play for under the current current circumstances we're all in, and it's it's almost making it a little bit of a more of an open playing field for everyone.
0: Yeah, it's weird, isn't it, in the home results. I mean, I'm a Man United fan, so we won't dwell on that because we've been consistently poor this season, I suppose, in terms of can't even score a goal at home. But maybe the the lack of fans makes the home away thing slightly different dynamic as well. It doesn't seem to be a huge advantage to play at home at the moment. It's it's amazing your relationship with Southampton, isn't it, Franny? I think it's so rare because whenever people think of clubs, they do associate sort of long-term career players, but also... For you, it feels like you're more embedded than that because you were brought up in a local area, weren't you? How much has Southampton been part of your life? It's almost like a another another wife, isn't it, along with Karen?
1: Oh, well, yeah, it's, uh, you know, to be born and raised in the city uh, for, for any any player that, that, that's that gone on to represent their hometown club, you know, you're not saying that any player that, that joins the club at any stage of their career uh, loves it any less than you, but there's just something embedded in you. I think as a... Mm. as a person, as an individual, um, when, you know, certainly speaking personally, every time I pulled on a shirt for Samson, Ed, I I always felt I was representing every single supporter that was in the stand Mm. or or followed the club um, and and felt a responsibility to to represent them through my, my, certainly, at the very least, my effort that I gave, um, you know, naturally performances and, and form would would, would dip um, and you know, you'd know you never always play as well as you'd like to or, or get the results you'd like. But certainly from an effort perspective, I always felt a responsibility to, to go out and, and, and give out absolutely everything, being a, mm. a, a local boy. So, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd walk past what was the old stadium, the Dell, um, on my way to and from school as a, as a young boy. So, um, yeah, the, the, the football club's very much in, in, embedded in my background. When you were growing up, you were a sensational
0: striker in the local area, weren't you? That's that's on your Wikipedia page. I don't know if you've uh, you've fabricated that.
1: It's it's, it's true, Ed. Yeah, you know, and and anybody that would have followed my my professional career would would question that. Um, You know, having only scored one goal in nearly 400 appearances over my career, so I I was far from prolific. Put it that way. The header um, was it? wasn't it? A header. I heard. It it was, of it. Yeah. yeah, at the Dell against Leicester in ninety. I should know this. Ninety seven, ninety eight, something like that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, it's something I'll, I'll I'll always cherish and remember and pleased that I've got at least one. But but as a youngster, a schoolboy, even when I arrived at the club as a as an apprentice and, 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 and young player, um, I was still playing as a striker. And and back then I was I was pretty much the size I, I am now. You know, I'm I'm not the biggest now. Uh, yeah. Only 5'9". foot nine. And, and pretty slim but uh, you know I, I was pretty much this age as a teenager at uh, this size sorry as a teenager so you know it gave me an advantage I was quick I was strong back then and you know as a result I think you know that made me quite a, a, a potent sort of goal scorer back then but um, yeah you had, had a few was, players
0: to compete he, with though didn't you? I was just thinking we you, you Matt Letitia, Alan Shearer around there that time as youngsters at, at Southampton as strikers
1: oh it was a, a an incredible crop of players around that, that era, as, as you say, Alan Shearer and Neil Madison, players like that in the year group. Oh yeah. The, the, the Wallace twins, Rodney and Raymond above us. Uh, sorry, they were below us as well. Uh, above us was, you know, some real talent, talent players. I mean, Chris Wilder was in the, the year group above. Yeah. He's uh, managing Sheffield United now. Um, Phil Parkinson, guys like that. So um, yeah, you know, they're, they're not just good players that, even if they didn't go on and make it at Southampton went on and had some incredible careers and mm. and largely big characters as well. You know, big personalities, strong, strong-minded strong people. But I think that was sort of, um, you know, if it, if it wasn't already embedded in, in, it, in us as individuals then, it was certainly put into us as a group through our youth team manager, who was Dave, Dave Merrington at the time, you know, a Northeasterner who was... You know, I called sort of tough old school, you know, set high standards, you know, they're disciplinarian um, and yeah. Yeah. Prepared us for not just the life in football, but life in general, I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's a fascinating foundation. Do you think that's different now, though, for footballers that they maybe get a lot too soon? Is there a lack of, um, I guess, appetite? Is, it, is the appetite dimmed by getting too much money too young for the teenagers, do you feel?
1: Well, you know, I I, I give talks and some keynotes now Ed and you know I, I talk about the old YTS wage that we came into the football club as 16 year olds it was £27.50 a week know, so, so money was never you know certainly in my generation a, a, a driving factor for any of us as players it was just that passion and love of playing football and the sport that you know we, 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 we sort of were involved in so um, yeah the the system and, and, and the sport and the game is, is, is massively different now today isn't it to mm when I came through the system and you know, you couldn't officially join a club until you were fourteen years of age back in my time as a as an associated schoolboy and and then they effectively took you on at 16 as a an apprentice for, you know, what could be two years to to hopefully earn a, a professional contract. And, you know, and, and and the money involved again, as we we just touched on, it's you know, just on another whole level now to to what it was back then so um Mm. and then you know and we probably had a good uh, you know in our era compared to, to previous decades so it just seems to be the way the sport's gone but it's um it's fascinating to see how it has progressed in in so many different ways you mentioned the
0: Wallace brothers there. I hadn't thought about that. So it was Ray and Rod there. It was Danny Wallace at Man United was related to them, wasn't he, at that,
1: that era? That's right. Well, I, I remember, I think, playing in a game where it was the first time that three brothers had played in a, you know, a top flight game ah. for however many years, if, if if it might have even been ever, maybe. Yeah, um, what was, a family. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and Danny was that that dynamic, as you know, being a United fan, you know, just remembering as, as a young boy going to the Dell to watch matches. Mm. I mean, we had some incredible talent playing back then um, under Laurie McMenamy. you know, with the, the senior professionals that he bring in, the, you know, the, the, the former internationals, um, you know, coupled with the talent that we, we produced even back in that day. And Danny would have been one of those younger, exciting players that just got people out of their seats, you know, and yeah. Uh, Rodney and Raymond were very different. Raymond was a, a, a solid, strong defender. Um, and, and Rodney, I, I would go as far as saying, was probably one of the best um, teammates uh, to play directly in front of me as a left fullback. You know, yeah. in, in our early days together, he, he was playing sort of left midfield, stroke left wing. Mm. Um, and given his sort of lack in physical size and strength you know, an absolute giant of a player and, you know, with the speed, his his quick feet, the way he could score goals as well. And I've I've got just a a bit of regret that, you know, Mm. him and Ray moved on to Leeds when they did. Because uh, you know we had some incredible young talent coming through at the time, and it was an exciting time to play in the team.
0: Did he win the title at Leeds, or was he there after by ninety-two?
1: No, he went on and, and, and won it when they went there. Yeah, uh, yeah, when they joined, so he was part of that 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 title win inside at Leeds United. So, um, and then yeah, Ranger, not, Rangers, Rod was a huge legend at
0: Rangers, wasn't he? After that, in a time when actually the Rangers were almost and Celtic were competing financially with the Premier League, which is interesting how that's changed.
1: Oh, yeah, no. And he was, you know, he had a, an incredible career and he uh, was just one of those players that, um, you know, you, you loved having in your team. But if they're an opponent, you just knew you're going to be in for a, a, a tough day. What, what happened, Franny, Were you becoming a defender then? Who came up to you and
0: had that conversation? And what did they see in you? Do you think there was that aggression that you later became known for, like being a physical defender and, and man-marking people? Was there something that they saw... In you, rather than a particular skill set with the ball that they they thought they could move you to left back.
1: Yeah, I think that that sort of natural aggression was was always in me as a player, Ed. Um, as as a striker, I mean, again, the game was very different from a you know what you could do and get away with, and the way the the, the officials ran the game. Um, yeah, it was, it was a more physical game back then to what it is today, and. Do you, you know, do you miss that, Franny? Because I think people,
0: Jamie Redknapp was sending has gone, wasn't he? After Lucadinha sending off for Everton yesterday, and I just feel sometimes it has become in the Premier. And I think the Premier League's more of a different game than the rest of football. Do you feel that way as well? Particularly like amateur football, but it seems like it is almost a non-contact sport at times.
1: Oh, for sure. I mean, I, I look at the, the, the game as it is today compared to when I was playing, and you know that that, that was my 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 strength, if you like, the, the way I could use. My aggression and, and, and the way I defended as a fullback um, yeah. to, to my advantage or my team's advantage and, and I, I just wouldn't be able to play like I did in today's game Yeah, uh, you know I'd be constantly being sent off and, and booked and it, you know it seemed to be bad enough back in the day you know the, the red cards and yellow cards I picked up but yeah that, that, that sort of side of my na- nature sort of just it was, it was a conscious decision to move me because I was getting into battles and fights and you know, run-ins with opponents. You know, uh, as a striker, and they they felt maybe it would be suited to, you know, my qualities as a, as a player to put me in midfield originally. Yeah. Um, as the manager, Chris Nicholl and, and the youth team coach Dave Merrington, who sort of thought that might suit my game and and the, and the team a bit better. Um, and and I, I made my debut as a, as a midfielder, and then Did I was you? on the bench for a game. Yeah. Well, left 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 wing or central? Uh, pretty much central, but left-sided. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, I was on the bench for a game shortly after when um, I think we, we we had a few players, a few injuries and we were a little bit thin on the ground. And uh, we had, a I think, a, a right back called Jerry Forrest playing uh, left back because we were that thin on the ground. And of course, I was mm-hmm. a, you know, technically a midfielder at the time. And this particular game, he went off with an, an early injury. And I, I think I was the only left footed player on the bench. So. I got thrown on, and you know, must have done okay because that's where, from that point, I, I stayed for the rest of my career. So um, it probably helped me, to be honest, as well. And nice. as, a, as a player, I think I was able to carve out a, a role for myself in in the team. Yeah. You know, had I stayed as a striker, you know, you, you mentioned before, you know, I would have been fighting the likes of, or, or you know, competing against the likes of Alan Shearer, Rod Wallace, Matt Letizia as a, you know, striking options nice. for, for the team and. You know, it, it probably helped me to be able to carve out that, that position in the team as a, as a full to give me a, you know, a career that I, I, I went on to have.
0: Yeah, I played left-back at a much lower level, sort of reluctantly a bit like you sometimes because I wanted to play sort of centre-mid really, but I had a left foot <laughs> and it was a very lower, lower level. But it's quite nice to, to have the game in front of you when you, get, when you first play fullback, isn't it? Because oftentimes, the rest of the time, you've got your back to goal, whereas you sort of see a lot more. Was that your experience when you first got that position?
1: yeah no for sure and, and and I felt comfortable there you know I was I was quite quick, you know, so again, if I come up against a quick winger um, I, I you could use your aggression nap back then as well in tackles and things like that
0: yeah um,
1: and i'll be honest you know I, I I pretty much put the brakes on when I got in and around the halfway line i i wasn 't the most creative of players or the most technical of players, so um, yeah, maybe that side of my game could have been better um, and and certainly would have been nice to have scored a few more goals. It, but, um, it wasn't as expected then, though, was it, in terms of fullback, I don't know who was the no, sort of no, break, exactly. you know, the you
0: players would, who led that revival or that change, really.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I pretty much, I think I saw it, almost that, that new type of marauding, attacking fullback emerged with the player that replaced me in the side, which is a youngster by the name of, Wayne. You, know, you know, Wayne Bridge. Yeah, yeah. And Bridgie, you know, started out himself as a, as a left winger, but adapted to to a fullback. But mm. Bridgie sort of kept the, the the attacking side of his game as a fullback. And, you know, he, he was, what I can remember, almost like one of those early marauding fullbacks that, that could defend, uh, but also, you know, got forward and did his bit with assists and crosses and things like that as well. So... um mm. Yeah,
0: yeah, it was different as well, Franky, wasn't it? Sorry to interrupt, just because um, in those days you had that sort of stock standard four-four-two, and what I suppose what would happen if you were an attacking fullback or had that instinct, you often got pushed to left wing. I'm thinking of at United, Lee Sharp, and and people like that.
1: That's right. Yeah, you know, again, just how the games evolved. You know, sort of formation-wise, what's expected of players now, the rules again, sort of. You know, and, and everyone everybody wants to see. I think it, it's, it's resulted in, in this attacking style of football that we see, you know, a lot of sides doing now. Um mm. But you know, I, I, I must admit, there's there's a little part of me that 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 sort of old grumpy former <laughs> former pro that um you know misses the the, the, the physical side of the game and, and and maybe the if you like the art, shall we say, of of, of defending. Yeah. Uh, you know, because it, it's 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 not as easy as many people would think Um, especially Mm. when you come up against some of the talent that you know whether you're facing it in today's game or back in the day you know there's 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 always I always relished sort of pitting my wits against you know some some of the best talent in the world really. Yeah
0: is that the academy is it picking different types of people not only different types of players because I spoke to a couple of years ago it's one of the first sort of little interviews I did for the podcast it's with a West Ham United academy player called Ajibola Elise he played for the England under-17s as well, he was saying to me that actually it was hardly sort of thought of how you were defending. It was more about could you get on the half turn? Could you open your body? Could you play the ball out? Was, they were talk about centre-halves and this was how they were picking them and they were getting through the process in academies. Do you think that there's almost a way that the academies have, have, have stifled that type of defender coming through?
1: I think that's probably true to say. Mm. To be honest, um, you know, naturally clubs and academies are, are looking for, for talent. You know, I guess, you know, Take a physical profile, for example. You know, it's almost like goalkeepers aren't considered now unless they're at least six, six foot six two, something like that. Um, yeah, and you know, that that almost goes there's a, a physical profile almost for every position. You know, mm. there's going to be exceptions, of course, but um, you know, you, you, you don't see you know, Steve, I, I play, Steve Potts, do you remember? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, but well, you know, I was a, I, I played a number of times at center half as well, and you know, you, you're certainly not going to see a five foot nine. Since half mm. of today's games, so it's, it's hugely changed as we, as we know, and um, the technical side of the game is, is is improved. I think it makes it a, a great spectacle for, for us as, as viewers or if we we're, we're in the media um, yeah. games. Uh, and it's, it's great to see all that that excitement side of it, and the rules probably assist attacking players i'd say yeah um, so you know, the, the, the defensive side is, is, is something that's that, that's very different. That, that goes without saying. We just see teams sort of almost sitting behind the ball nowadays, don't you? And um Yeah, it's, 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 it's very different. So I'd, I'd, I'd be intrigued in some way as a, as a former player, if you like, to almost mm. literally just be dropped into a, a current side. You know, let's say I could go and play in the Southampton team now as a replacement for Ryan Bertrand. Yeah. I'd love to almost like understand and hear the it should be a shot for, right,
0: for the right forward on the other team wouldn't it when you <laughs> the challenge of the game
1: <laughs> well, they, they wouldn't have any problems getting past me from a, a speed perspective now I think I'm, my legs are a little bit slower, but, um, but yeah it, it, it would just be great you know that, that okay well you not necessarily just have to defend as a, a back four for example it's defending as a team and when to press and things like that and those little triggers and you know, when you win the ball, again, rules dictate this, but you see players, you know, I, I played in an era where, you know, you could, you know, the goalkeeper rolled roll the ball out to you and you can just lay it straight back to him. If you bend down, pick it up and almost waste another yeah. 10 15 seconds, yeah. you know. So when you're seeing goalkeepers now playing Goal kicks to players within the eighteen-yard box, and then them starting to play their way out, literally from the six-yard box. To Is the, and, yeah, it's
0: a risk reward. Is it worth it? I often think, like, you know, you're not, you still got 80 yards to go to the opposition's goal, haven't you? But you're right in front of your own goal.
1: I, Ed, I, have wince at times. You know, there, there, there's, you know, maybe it's again just haven't played in an era where it, it, we never did it then. Um, you, you almost like just shut your eyes and think, oh no, what's going to happen? Because yeah, if, if, if that was it, I was in a position like that or or players of my era in that sort of scenario everyone would be going, get rid of it or just kick it yeah. up front, you know, lump it forward. Down the um, line. And yeah. you just don't see it now, do you? You know, there's that that bravery and, and the ability of the players as well to, to, to be able to play out like they do. It's it's great to see really, but there are times when I do this thing, you know, just put your foot through it and, and get it forward. Mm. I don't often have like two strikers to aim for now, which is difficult. I know
0: Shay Adams you've got there and, and Danny Ings at the moment, almost a strike partnership at Samson, which is which is a throwback. When you look back, Franny, who are the managers remind us that you worked for, those likes of, of Bramford wasn't it? Alan Ball was there, Laurie McMenemy you mentioned. There was some yeah, some, some, yeah. some big some big nineties sort of figures as managers. Who who did you enjoy working under?
1: Oh I I learned something from every single one of them, Ed, even if you know I had a disagreement or a fallout of some degree, you know, with them and, and that often centered around maybe being left out of the, the team, whatever, you know, getting the hump with the manager over his team selection. But <laughs> I think throughout my career, like you say, Laurie, Laurie McMenemy signed me as a schoolboy. Um, by the time I joined full-time at 16, he'd left and it was Chris Nichol, Um And then I'm trying to, I won't reel them all off. But, you know, amongst mm. others, there was there was Alan Ball, Glenn Hoddle, Graham Souness, yeah. Gordon Strachan was my last manager when I retired. Wow. Um, and, you know, just some big, big characters, big personalities, knowledge of football. Um, and I guess, you know, out of all of them, you know, somebody like Bawley was just epitomised that, that football person and, and passion mm. and love for the game. And, it, and, it, and the way he, he loved the game just rubbed off on everybody. Um, mm. and, you know, and you couldn't help but feel motivated and, you know, and inspired, you know, just because of his love for the game.
0: As a World Cup winner as well, I suppose, it's a the sense of reverence, wasn't there, growing up, Alan Ball? For, for a kid oh, in
1: the 90s, yeah. 80s and 90s. That's right. And, you know, the, the moment he walked through the doors at the Dell, uh, you know, he, he, he just commanded that instant respect, I think, of everyone knowing that he'd, he'd been that World Cup winner. And, you know, and then, uh, you know like, like everybody, you know, there's, there's players that, that, that miss out and, you know, are going to be part of the, the, the management choices, mm. you know, whether they're in or out of the side. Um, and, and then obviously sort of people go their different ways but and again for me personally as a player you know there were a number of the managers that came in that did you know sign players to replace me and, and that was hard for me you know, I, you know having born, been born and raised and never wanting to play for anybody else
0: Yeah so you, you
1: never went, to, you went on loan to Forest, didn't you at one point is that right? It's
0: the only time you left
1: Yeah I did and you know that, that, that was a huge decision for me and my family at the time they even to go out on loan um, you know, because I'd only ever pictured sort of having a career at Southampton, albeit I realised that football being what it is, you, you just never know. But the reality at the time, you know, under, under Glenn Hoddle, when I thought, well, I, I need to be playing. I, mm. I, I, I couldn't just sort of sit out the side and not be playing. And, and, and maybe again, that's how football's different now. You know, a lot of players are happy to, to, to sort of be part of a, a squad and it is a squad game now. Um, more than what it was back in my time, but uh, was that was yeah. that Hoddle's first job since the England
0: job at Southampton? Um,
1: you, uh, no, I think. No. Uh, actually, I'm trying to think. You go to yeah, Wolves, was it? Yeah, Wolves? it might have been. Yeah, may, Yeah, you're right. I think it might have been after his first after England. Um, yeah. coming back into the game. So, so um, was
0: he a bit sort of scolded by that experience? Obviously, the press went for him, and he ended up leaving, not for football reasons, really.
1: Yeah, no, not. I, I can't, you know, cast my mind back think that um you know he he ever sort of spoke about it openly um, mm. you know those experiences but uh, he, you know he just seemed to be very focused on you know getting back into football and, 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 and you know making us a, a competitive and, and, and good side. Who were the who were the toughest opponents to
0: play against in the nineties? I was thinking at the top of my head maybe someone like Andre Kinchelskis for, for Manchester United and Everton might have been fearsome, but then he probably suited your skill set really, in a sense that he was he was a runner and you could kind of be physical with him.
1: Yeah, well, like I say, I, I tended to resort to, to that side <laughs> of the, the nature in the game with every opponent and and, and found them all difficult, to be honest, yeah. with, in, in different ways. Like you say, United of that era were just the, the, the formidable force that they were. Um, and, and you're right, you know, Countless players, Kunchauskas, would have been one that was quick and tricky. Um, but it was just their all-round quality in the side as well that made them a, a, such a, a difficult opponent over the years. Um, it, opponents were different in different ways. You know, if, Talking from a United perspective, if you come up against someone like a David Beckham, he was just an intelligent footballer, you know, not someone yeah. that I was worried about was going to go flying past me or anything like that particularly, or even from a trickery point of view. But he just had a an, an intelligent football brain, and he knew if you stood off him at all, he would he would either pop a little pass off and go and get a one-two, um, or if you gave him too much room, he'd just either pick a teammate out with a cross or fizz the yeah. ball into the box or something. And you know, so, so you always had to really be on your toes. But then you you'd come up against others from a physical point of view that you think, you know, I know I've got a tough character that's not going to be intimidated today. Yeah, it's going to you know dish a bit of it back to me as well, and. Um, you know, but I, I, I cast my mind back and relish to the times I played at centre half to sort of almost do a man marking job. You did uh, one you on Cantona, know. did you? At one point, is that right? Yeah, or, yeah. yeah. Marking, you know, Cantona and, and obviously the sort of strikers of that era. You've come up against Gianfranco Zola, sort of Alan Shearer as a former teammate. Wow. Um, Ian Wright, um, you know, just just Cantona. So so many of the, the these these top players. Um, Clinsman as well when he came to Spurs. Oh yeah, uh, you know it, 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 it was hard, quite naturally, and um, you know judging by the goals that we probably conceded, I didn't always do my job as well as I would have hoped to have done. But uh, you know, there was, there was a few times I managed to keep them shut out with my teammates. So we, we, we had one or two good victories, and you, being a United supporter, would know that oh, you know, yeah. we had a few victories at the Dell. The grey, the, the, the
0: grey shirts, <laughs> the, the dreaded grey
1: shirts. Wow. <laughs> yeah.
0: That was a, well, that was a remarkable day, wasn't it? Beckham scored a good free kick. I remember in that one, but was it six two the final score? It was. It was we we had
1: to, That was the three one. The grey shirts. We were, oh, right. we were Three up at half time, and I, th- I think maybe Giggs might have got. Oh okay. A, a consolation goal in the second half, but uh, yeah, no, we had a, a I think a six three. Yeah. I didn't, really know, I didn't think that one, but there's yeah, there's been some, you know, some some great, and, and I think playing at St Mary's now for Southampton, and and maybe other teams will we we'll feel it as well, and supporters. But you know, we we definitely lost something as a as a as a squad and a team and a club when we we left the Dell. Mm. You know, the the, the 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 compact stadium. You know, the, the, the fact that it wasn't luxurious surroundings. Um, supporters were literally within touching distance of the pitch, and and that gave us a, a a little edge against a lot of our our bigger and better opponents over the years. If, if we were on our game as players on the pitch, and the supporters were behind us. It could be a you know a, yeah and, you know and, and not a pleasant place to play. For took a while, people.
0: took a while to recover, didn't it, from that? You went down to League One, Southampton.
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, ne- never would I believe, you know, sort of myself and the crop of players. I sort of came through my career, and you know, I know obviously sort of Matt Letizia and I, are the same age, and, and we're at the club. You know, our, mm. our entire careers, we we always, you know took it upon ourselves or we, we did our utmost to make sure that we never got relegated, mm. you know, and we came very close on a number of occasions, don't get me wrong, but we always sort of took pride knowing that that never happened and, yeah. you know, to then sort of retire and see the club sort of just almost drop out of the Premier League or the Premiership as with, with a little, not even as much as a, a bit of a, a fight mm. was, was really difficult and hard to, to, to watch. Um, but, you know, we've, we've managed to bounce back, which is great. And, you know, things are looking up now. So, yeah, we, we hopefully we'll never go back to that those sort of low, low moments.
0: You mentioned Letizio. Of course, people are saying, so, I know you're friends and you do a lot of stuff nowadays together in partnership. What was he like in terms of just the, the sheer skill level? And I wonder, you mentioned Cantona, and I think about Letizia and they, they occupied that position kind of in the hole, didn't they? Which Teddy Sheringham did as well. And a freedom yeah. to it. Do you think they'd be accommodated in, in modern football? It almost seems... A sense that there are no luxury players. I know people have mentioned Alan Sam Maximan at Newcastle that maybe he is but I think he's been told by Steve Bruce to get back and defend but that seemed like there was a, there was a sense of acknowledgement that those guys were so creative that you just allowed them a freedom.
1: Well I'd, I'd be in the camp that you would have to allow that kind of player uh, yeah. somehow within your team you know and I, I guess Matt is the, the classic example you know I guess I'm at times had people criticise him for, for what he, he wouldn't do in the, in the sense of defending or running around. But, you know, certainly from my point of view and all of the teammates over the years, we we, we saw what he was capable of doing as well when the ball was at his feet and the goals that he could score and yeah, you know, this he could create. So, you know, it never entered, certainly my head or anybody else's, I don't think, to think, OK, there's a, an element of responsibility he had to get in and, and, and get in positions at times. But... You didn't expect Matt to, to go around crunching tackles and winning the ball back and things mm. like that. You know, there, there was others of us in the team that could do that. But, mm. you know, he was the one person above everybody else over the years at Saints. And you mentioned others like Cantonar and guys like this. You know, those players have got something special. They're, you know, they've got that, that element of genius to them. And, um, you, you, you know, you can't just sort of not include that or accommodate that within an, in any team now. And there's probably examples in today's game that, you know, yes, there's a responsibility to do, fit into the overall game plan um, yeah. and team set up, but you've just got to give those sort of players license at times to go and do their thing, and, you know, because they are the, the match winners ultimately.
0: Yeah, Letitia's highlight reel is unbelievable, but he also scored a decent amount of goals every season, so it he, he would add up, wouldn't it, as well, which is fascinating. But just the, the long range strikes, the chips, the the favourites for me were the juggling ones, you know, that he'd juggle over people. And I, that's something missing, isn't it? We saw Gasser do that at Euro 96 as well. They don't see many people juggling the ball over defenders anymore.
1: No, do you know, do you know what I mean? Having played and trained alongside Matt for, for years and years, and, and there's been other examples of players that do it you know, occasionally, but it's just ridiculous, Ed, how, how often he would do it. Yeah. And as you say, you only have to look at a a show reel of his goals to see what he, he was capable of but he, he'd be doing that day in day out in training and um you know I, I mean i've even in recent years even beyond our playing days i mean we've we've done a little bit of five a side you know just mm. to do a little bit of training and a few little charity things in in, in recent years and it, i've even seen matt chip chip a goalkeeper in a five a side goal oh my goodness in recent years so <laughs> off, that, the, off the ground with a back oh, backspin oh, yeah well it, you know, it's one of these low goals in in one of the goal centres, and um, yeah. you know he he just sort of dummyed to shoot. The goalkeeper dived and was lying down, yeah, um, and and Matt then just chipped it over him, and uh, that that just you know gave me a flashback to all those moments when he would do it in training or or for, or for real in a competitive game. So yeah, he's, he's he's not lost that that little bit of magic. What do you think about the modern we
0: talked about modern football? I don't want to rail on it too much, but it's just the, the changes and the differences. It's one thing that I, I miss is an all-round central midfield player. That doesn't seem to necessarily happen that much. I suppose people could argue Jordan Henderson is maybe close close to that at the moment. Possibly Bruno Fernandez could could do it. But another thing is is the sense of of risk and jeopardy in allowing players to potentially lose the ball, whether it was like Ryan Giggs running down the left wing at Old Trafford and you know you'd slalom and you'd get excited, even if it came to nothing. It'd just be you'd be off your seat and and with Letitia, the, the fact that you could try and juggle over players, I'm guessing it, you're not going to nail that every time. Like you say, you can look on YouTube, and younger people should definitely do that because it's, it's unreal the goals Letitia scored. But you have to be able to forgive him for losing the ball sometimes, don't you? Whereas now, clubs are so obsessed with possession. Do you feel that that's maybe that sort of freedom has gone out of the game a little bit, that license okay. to, to try things?
1: I, I guess there is that element of your, your approach to, to that risk and reward, and everybody's <laughs> going to be different, aren't they? Whether that's club management, um, and, and how they want want a team to play, but for sure i i I very much feel that you know today's game there is a a a philosophy or a, a, a game plan or a style of playing football mm-hmm. that um you know literally every single player they will it, it, it almost reminds me a little bit of american football <laughs> to be honest you know really? I, I think, well that's that's just my gut feeling a little bit now that almost like if you said, for example, right, okay, the ball is in this part of the pitch. Yeah. Now, I think every single player would know and have a responsibility, one, where they're supposed to be personally, yeah. but what the, what the objective is of the, uh, the team to get the ball from wherever it is in that part of the pitch to get it towards the goal and ultimately score a goal, hopefully. Yeah, that um, comes from
0: Pep Guardiola's Barcelona, does it, and still at Man City, that he has the pitch divided into grids that he wants people to move into in any given situation. So they're kind of like almost programmed.
1: Yeah, and I guess this is sort of part of the progress of of the game that it's become now. Um, Mm. I think think what what doesn't make it great in some ways is that, you know, I know football's changing a little bit and we're seeing B teams and things like that now. But, you know, football back in my time was, you know, obviously youth sides, reserves, first team. And, um, you know, looking at sort of academies and that now, you can almost see there's a, a style and pattern and way of playing. I mean, in academy and things, you, under 23s football, you, you, you barely see a tackle at times. So, you know, I don't think that helps uh, in some ways the, the you know, preparing players for the, the the physicality side of it. But it's very much almost like that philosophy of, you know, producing a player that's able to play in certain situations of a game. And then that naturally progresses, you know, if if that's how the first team are playing as well. When you do slot into that, it's almost like you've been training and playing like that for however many years or seasons before. So um, it's, it's, it's a pattern and style of play that that's nice on the eye, but it seems very sort of... Um, programmed, sort of, yeah. Uh, programmed, yeah, that's the word. Yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, and, and there's not that quite so much off-the-cuff type of thing. Yeah. Um, and But then someone could argue maybe we weren't as prepared or planned or organised as yeah. what today's team but,
0: but, but there was, this, I think the Premier League, and it's, I'm biased because I, you know, I had that magical time of being, I love playing football from being a kid, but I suppose as a fan, I was like 10, 11 when the Premier League started. And it's when you kind of become aware of teams and you get the sticker album. So for me, that will always have a magical feel to it. But I just think there was something about 90s football as a transition between the modern day and the 80s that had, it had the glitz and glamour coming on. I've listened to a podcast, the Quickly Kevin Woolley Score podcast, the 90s football one. And Jamie Redknapp was on there recently talking about, you know, the glamorous Liverpool boys, the Spice boys. But then you had that sort of industrial side to have players like yourself who came through on £27.50 a week in the, in the, in the YTS scheme. And there was a connection. There was a sort of like a hybrid, wasn't there, it seemed. Did that feel like for you it was between the old and the new?
1: Yeah, well, you know, I very much remember that sort of transition, you know, with um, you know, Premiership then and then becoming the Premier League. Uh, and even the television side of it was was sort of almost felt a little bit like an intrusion at the time, you yeah. know, with, with the coverage that, you know, sport was getting at the time. And, you know, all of a sudden cameras are in dressing rooms a little bit or and interviews are being done in areas of the, the, the ground that had almost literally been off limits to to any media or things like that. Um, mm. There was also an insight and a, a behind the scenes look of, of, of the sport, and you know, sort of even putting names on shirts and things like that, going from just having numbers. It, it, you know, there's lots of slight, little subtle changes that were, were coming into the sport that you could see the transition. Obviously, money started coming into the sport a bit more. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it was a fascinating era. Um, and uh, I, I guess an era where it was good maybe to, to get rid of things like moustaches, and speaking, <laughs> people, probably a good thing. You know, I see some photos back now to the early late 80s, early 90s, I think, you know what was I thinking? You've got a
0: Fre- Freddie Mercury vibe going on like there, haven't you, Franny? You've got,
1: you got <laughs> yeah. the same, same colouring as Freddie. It's, yeah, so. Freddie, Freddie Mercury making his debut for Saints back in the 80s, <laughs> yeah. um, uh, but I can't sing, so yeah, I'll leave so, that to him. What was, the, what was the Benali name? Is that Italian heritage? It's, it's a, yeah. It's obviously overseas. It's a it's, it's a mixed um, sort of heritage. I think uh, I'm, I'm not sure exactly. I, I'm, I should sort of delve into the family tree <laughs> and, uh, and find out more. But um, yeah, yeah. It's
0: uh, it's it's certainly not a smith, is it? No. Well, it's not. It's not a smith. No, you're right. But it's very it's very exotic, Franny. Just the way you played down that left that left side. It was uh, very continental. Maybe <laughs> very very English. Um, but, Fanny, really appreciate your time. I know you've got to got to shoot for, for an appointment, but it's been great to speak to you. Is your final thought at the moment, I suppose, just that whether we can some way allow fans to exercise free will in this in this pandemic and, and possibly go safely with masks or whatever into the stadiums before the end of the season?
1: It'd be great, wouldn't it? I mean, it's it's something that I hope we can continue to work towards. I mean, obviously, we're going to be governed by you know restrictions and what's going on yeah. globally. Um, you know, the bigger picture, but uh you know, it it would be wonderful. I think it would be good for not just the sport to have supporters back in and we we've touched on during this chat, you know, how it maybe affects the players themselves and, and results, but uh I, I, you know, every supporter I sort of have contact with or have a message with, you know, that they, they are just missing not going to the stadium so much to watch live football. Um mm. and I, and you know, there's obviously the the, the sort of emotional and, and, and sort of mental well-being side of, you know, positivity that would bring as well, I think. Mm. Um, yeah, we, we're all
0: watching park football. We mentioned that to each other yesterday, weren't we? We were getting drawn to, our eyes are getting drawn to people playing in the yeah, park.
1: Exactly, yeah, you know, sort of, I mean, there's opportunities to see level, you know, football at a certain level maybe, but, you know, it, it would be great to sort of get it back, you know, through all yeah. tiers of football and, and and certainly lower down the, the, the pyramid, clubs, they, they need that revenue mm. coming through with supporters at being at games so if we can find a way to do it so safely then uh, yeah it would be amazing to get that back before the end of the season yeah i think there's there's different
0: avenues isn't there it's, whether you get it's immediate testing so you can make sure people get you know pitch up and get a result and then be allowed in or whether it's treatments are so good that we fear the, the condition less fear the virus less or whether it's a vaccine or I guess, you dare, dare I say it, you know, we, we get to a point where everyone keeps getting it We some level of herd immunity eventually. I'm not sure quite quite how things will play out, but I think there's, there's hopefully hope and opportunities of those different different routes that we can take to get to get fans back in because it is huge as you say for their mental health and their well-being to get in and, and just for the community like you know you're a Southampton man born and bred but Franny really appreciate your time on such short notice as well it's been fantastic to chat and we'll, we'll do it again in the future
1: yeah and any anytime Ed yeah it's always always great to catch up with you and uh, yeah thanks for having me on
0: good man and t- say thanks to Karen for using her email as well I know she's <laughs> she's got a few messages while we've been talking so she's probably waiting to get yeah, on there still, and uh,
1: those pinging through apologies for that no. I don't quite know how to mute it but um, that's yeah. great all the best mate hopefully right. I'll see you soon
0: good to speak to you soon and um, drop me a picture Franny so I can put it on social media and help promote the podcast that'd be fantastic and I'll drop you a link to it as well
1: okay mate yeah I'll, I'll have a little look to see what what sort of thing are you are after like an action one or just a more modern one
0: yeah whatever you just a standard one's fine yeah whichever you feel is good yeah either or I'll,
1: I'll have a little look I'll try and send something over a little bit later
0: good man Franny I'll speak to you soon will do It's amazing sometimes how you realise how lucky you are to do your job, and how the little boy or girl, if I, if I was a woman, would feel about the opportunity I get to spend time with people like Franny Benali, who you grew up just, I guess, it mesmerised by the whole of the Premier League football scene. Of course, I'm a huge boxing fan as well, but the chance to to work with these guys now as analysts and and meet people, and, and certainly. I'm not saying that, that Franny was sort of one of my sort of heroes per se. I was a Manchester United fan. So at left back, I was looking up to people like Dennis Irwin and and obviously Lee Sharp before that, as I say, was a kind of converted fullback into a winger and Gary Neville and people like that, Paul Parker. But he certainly was an iconic figure, I think, to, to feel. Sometimes you, you really appreciate, you get the chance to do that. as a day job working as a presenter at Sky Sports News. Really good to speak to Franny. And, and that differences in the game that he sees and perhaps how someone with his assets of aggression and, and determination and det- tenacity maybe wouldn't be rewarded in the modern game. But then we have been seeing such freakish uh, attacking performances in terms of goals. You wonder if the balance has tipped too far against defending in the Premier League, what they're allowed to do and maybe what the sort of mindset and the type of personality that go into defending now, the players that make it perhaps lack that hint of aggression that's needed to stop the opposition because it's an important part of any competition is that you want to score, but you also want to defend. There have been a few nil-nils over the weekend, no fairness. Um, but yeah, Francis Benali really appreciate his time as well on, a, on Monday morning. Hope you enjoyed that. Please let me do, know if you do. Ed Draper 81 on Twitter, Ed underscore Draper81 on Instagram. And if you could rate it on iTunes or any other platform you use, I know that people, uh, particularly the Frank Smith one, I got some feedback saying they wanted to listen to another platform. It is the podcast on Spotify, Acast, I believe other, I think 12 platforms it says, because my podcast is housed on um, a website called Anchor which is a fantastic website. I definitely recommend that. So wherever you are, if you can review it and enhance, spread the word, just tell someone. I think it's often the key, isn't it? Word of mouth, still really powerful in this day and age. So thank you for listening to the podcast. Thank you to the sponsors, Bang & of Cheltenham and Serene AV, who are specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high-quality customer service and installations. Check out Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham, social media, Twitter, Instagram the website, get contact details for Jason Briggs and his team, local guy running a team in Bishop's Cleaver football team, ASC Cheltenham, although he's a big Manchester United fan as well. So going through all the ringer at at the moment, he precedes me a little bit, so he'll remember the the sort of mixed days of the 80s more keenly than me as well. So he's been there before, I suppose. But yeah, check out Bagnolfson of Cheltenham. And for supplements, if if you're looking to optimize your immunity, there's no, I guess, replacement for good sleep, good diet, good rest. But in terms of that one or 2% extra, whatever it might be, I know I've been convinced by spending time, my father is a very educated man in nutrition and medicine about that importance of just topping up those trace elements, selenium, zinc, vitamin C, vitamin D over the winter months, that vitamin D3 being key for our immunity and just feeling a well-being. they believe it's almost hormonal in some of the ways it it acts. I know that Dr. Um, Rhonda Patrick on the Joe Rogan experience podcast, the doctor out in the States was talking about that, how the psychological effect of vitamin D3, and you can get that from being outside, but, in the UK in particular, if you've been here in the winter months between October and February, there's not a lot of sunlight firing around. And if you're tethered to a desk on team schools, as people are at the moment during the working hours, often you're missing the daylight. So maybe supplementation is the key. But uk, Draper, D-R-A-P-E-R, all capital letters, one zero, and then the capital letter R is the discount code for 10% off. Thank you for listening to the podcast, guys. Hope you have a great week. Be back uh, with a couple more. I've got Garden Mousasi and Douglas Lima, who are two MMA fine fighters who are fighting in Bellator on Thursday. I've done the videos for Sky Sports, and I'll share the audio here as well of that. I hope to share Mark Weir's review of Khabib Nurmagomedov's big win at the weekend as well over Justin Gaethje and subsequent retirement as arguably one of the greatest of all time MMA fighters, maybe the greatest, Dana White, the UFC president, has said. Anyway, thank you for listening, guys, and uh, have a great time. Hope you're well. Bye for now.